This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, March 17th, 2023. It is St. Patrick's Day. We start this Friday like we do many Fridays with Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics. Michael, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm ready for a little bit warmer weather. I'm not a crazy person like you who likes the August heat, but just a little bit warmer would be nice. Well, this has been a big news week uh, in Arkansas and uh, the Fort Smith Metro. Let's start with the um, news that broke early in the week that Tyson would be closing a Van Buren plant that's been in operation since the mid-70s. And we later found out it's going to mean almost 1,000 lost jobs. Yeah, almost 1,000. And and Tyson, I just don't understand these big corporations. Um, I guess they thought they could shut down a plant with a thousand jobs. There's one in Glen Allen, Virginia. It's got about 700 jobs. That's also closing at the same time. They they put out no statement. The only way that the media learned was the union in Virginia um, raised hell about it, and then some employees here received letters from the company and they started putting it on social media. It took us forever to get a statement out of Tyson, who alleges that they're all for the team members, but in the community, but apparently didn't want to let everybody know. Um, but yeah, on Monday we, we learned that they were going to close this. It's a very large processing and cooking facility. Van Buren employees, um, Tyson says 969. That is a lot of folks. And what, what kind of, uh, as I've said earlier, what kind of hurts my heart about it is that there are a lot of these folks that work here are living paycheck to paycheck. These aren't, you know, these aren't Silicon Valley folks who, you know, probably had a bunch of money put away. And so that paycheck to paycheck life is going to end in May. And the other thing is um, a, a lot of these folks, you know, English is their second language, if, if they even know English at all. Um, so that's going to be difficult. Um, but the Van Buren uh, Chamber, uh, University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, are, have and we're going to have a story on this later that are working um, to the Van Buren Chamber is working on a career fair, what they hope is a large career fair. Uh, they're also working with the Western Arkansas Planning Development District to try to identify any funds or programs for training, uh, for education. Uh, sometimes when people lose a job, that's when they say, you know, maybe now's the time I go learn how to weld or learn how to be a nurse or learn how to be an electrician, whatever, you know, so, but they may not have funds for that, or they may not know the pathway for that. So they're going to try to help with that. They're also going to help uh, people with entrepreneurial support for a startup. Maybe some folks say they have to do their own thing. I, you know, I, I was laid off in 2008. I, I know what it's like. It's tough. And that's what I did. Instead of looking around to find another job, I said, you know what? I've always wanted to do my own thing be my own boss. So maybe now's the time to, you know, try it. And so I did. So that, so the chamber and our planning development district will hurt, will help with those folks hurt by the layoff. University of Arkansas, Fort Smith is engaged in some uh, similar efforts, especially in terms of skills training and finding funds for, for education, for continuing education. But, um, this, this closure is a surprise until you really kind of look back at what Tyson has been saying. They, in fact, they said that they're going to invest uh, 1.3 billion in automation in its factories over the next three years. 
Um, they've invested well over 300 million in a Danville um, uh, facility. Danville, um, uh, I think it's Indiana. Don't don't. I'll look that up. For, uh, read off, but it's a Danville plant that's a fully cooked operation, um, like it will be in Van Buren. But that plant, that fully automated processing and cooking operation, will employ just a little over 400 workers compared to the thousand in Van Buren. Um, they also have uh, a much larger uh, or another large facility in Humboldt, Tennessee. It's a $425 million complex and cooking plant. Now that plant has about 1,500 workers. It's a huge facility. Um, so their Tyson is just moving toward more automation, newer plants. This Tyson plant in Van Buren um, was, uh, I think it was opened in 1975, so it's an older structure um but that's that's what they're uh moving toward and unfortunately it you know hits it's van buren uh, pretty hard now i know that not everyone who is losing a job at the van buren plant lives in van buren but still you're talking about a nearly a thousand people in a, in a city that's twenty three thousand people that that has ripples throughout the city's economy yeah, and it's in a metro where you have about 115 to 120 thousand, depending on the month, that are employed uh, according to the federal stat. So, you 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 that becomes a significant percentage um, in terms of overall overall workforce and the number of employed. Yeah, so it's it's going to hurt. All right. Also this week, another big story. Uh, we got the confirmation, the official notice that the pilot training center is going to be in Fort Smith. We knew it was the preferred location. The last hurdles were cleared, and this week it was made official. Yeah, this is this is a big deal. Uh, it's just, and it's it's kind of rare to have two big deals like this on the opposite opposite ends of the spectrum in the same week. But uh, yeah, this pilot training center it's part of the the government, it's part of the military's foreign military sales program when they sell these advanced like this F-35's advanced fifth generation fighter to these other countries well those um, they need a place for their pilots to learn how to fly them and so this is consolidating uh, this action by the military is consolidating a lot of those training centers into one center you know it was announced back in June of 2021 that Fort Smith and was picked and the base in Selfridge, Michigan was uh, second, was north, just north of Detroit. So we've always kind of, you know, for the last two years, almost two years, been hoping that it's coming here. But when it comes to these, we, the Fort Smith area, when it comes to the F-16s and the ATNs and military basing decisions, we've all been burnt before. So we didn't want to count these chickens, so to speak, before they hatched. And But so this this week on Wednesday, the final decision came down, and it's going to come to Fort Smith. It's going to be um, a huge economic impact. Um, the ch- they kind of dialed back their economic impact projections from between 500 million and a billion, and I think that's probably reasonable somewhere in between. But we're talking about bringing around 900 folks. That includes military dependents. Uh, some of the more optimistic that I've talked to believe that. The base will be home to more folks than that. Once it kind of gets up and going, more training begins to take place. Um, but some of the first, um, some of the first planes we're going to see 
Uh, I know we talked a lot about this. We're going to support Singapore Republic Air Force or the Republic of Singapore Air Force, I should say. But the first planes coming in are from Poland, F-35 planes from Poland. Uh, and then some of the F-16s from Singapore will arrive, and then from some F-35s from Finland, and some F-35s from Germany, uh, then Switzerland. So it's going to be uh, a parade of countries flying uh, in and out of Fort Smith beginning in um, this will begin, Kyle, probably the earliest we might see some planes uh, is September of 2024. But there will be some ramp up, right? Some people moving in and some some activity before we hear the planes. Yes. I thought uh, Lieutenant Colonel Drew Nash, he is in charge. This is an interesting thing based at the 188, but this is the tenant, the, 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 person, the, the, out in the unit that's operating the training center is, out, is Eglin Air Force Base. Uh, they're just north of Fort Walton Beach. They're essentially the tenant, and the 188 is the host. And so Lieutenant Colonel Nash um, is the person setting this up, getting it ready for uh, his bosses at Eglin. And so he has talked about there's going to have to be a lot of renovations. There have to be facilities, training facilities, housing facilities, some housing facilities, I think, limited. They're going to have to get the ramp um, facilities up to speed places to put the airplanes, you know, undercover or, um, and then there are all kinds of logistics. There's even the logistics of bringing in personnel. How do you time that in to get everything up and going? So he, uh, when I talked to him Wednesday, he said, it's, it's go time. This was that announcement was the green light and there's going to be a lot of people hitting the ground running. I, I, I do, I should give kudos. There are a lot of folks who work, behind the scenes on this. Um, Congressman Womack uh, in his office, Tim Allen, head of the Fort Smith Regional Chamber of Commerce, were a couple of the folks that I know. I'm, I know I'm missing some folks, and I apologize to those, but those are folks that I know truly were busting it hard behind the scenes. And for such a big project, Kyle, the leaks were very few. Um, I'm impressed with how tight everyone kept the project, even after it became more likely that the base the base would be in Fort Smith and because it's a big it's it, I mean it, this is a big deal for the Fort Smith metro area uh, we're gonna have a story about how home builders are prepping uh, to get this up and going we'll have a story talk business on that um, but there have been I've been watching Fort Smith metro since the early 90s and there have been really three big what I call well I probably can't say what I call it on the air but Three really big, oh wow, economic development news that I've watched. It's this. Uh, the Arkansas College of Health Education announced their plans, which, as you know, have done nothing but expand well beyond that original announcement. And then when Whirlpool announced it was moving out. So, as I've said before, two out, of, two out of three being positive ain't bad, but I just want to stress this is a big deal and will have um, ideally a big net positive impact on the Fort Smith metro area. Uh, I've also talked to some folks who say this will have what they call an, an enduring mission that can last 30 years or longer. So um, there were some folks initially worried this was just going to be, once you get two or three countries trained up, then they just close the base back down again. But I don't think it's going to be like that. Wow. Indeed, a big news week. This Next week will be spring break in Arkansas, so maybe it'll be a little quieter. However, I will be here Friday. Will you be here next week? Yes, 
but you just jinxed it on the Soul News Week. Yeah, I sure did. I'm sorry about that. All right, Michael Tilley is with Talk Business and Politics. They'll keep following both of these stories as they further develop. Michael, have a restful, if possible, weekend, and we'll talk to you next Friday. You as well, sir. Always appreciate it. KUAF is giving away VIP tickets to the 2023 Rocklahoma Music Festival, held September 1st through the 3rd, 2023, in Pryor, Oklahoma. Bands include Buck Cherry, P.O.D., Skid Row, and more. Winners will be announced on Friday, August 25th, during Ozarks at Large. KUAF.com for complete lineup and registration. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College, offering engaged learning by linking classrooms to the world and developing career skills throughout its curriculum. Hendricks graduates pursue medical, law, and other advanced degrees, preparing students to lead lives of accomplishment. Hendricks.edu slash connect for more. Ahead this hour, whether next week's spring break across Arkansas affects you or not, Becca Martin-Brown, the features editor with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, offers us a day-by-day schedule for enjoying the week. And a conversation with Sylvia Rodriguez-Vega about her book, Drawing Deportation, Art and Resistance Among Immigrant Children. Specifically thinking about um, what we expect and think of children, we want to protect them, and that is so important. And at the same time, we don't have uh, hard conversations with them about racism, detention, um, you know, tough subjects. That conversation later today on Ozarks at Large. On the latest episode of Undisciplined, we explore the black diaspora through the lens of rice. Jamaica is a British classist society, and food is one of the ways in which class is expressed. So if you didn't have rice, something was happening to you. The third installment of our Undisciplined Live series is in the podcast feed now. Listen for free wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a St. Patrick's Day edition of Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. This week, the Lincoln School District in western Washington County became the latest Arkansas district to adopt a four-day school week. The move comes after a bill from a previous Arkansas legislative session allowed districts to have more leeway to establish four-day weeks or year-round schedules. New research by a University of Arkansas Ph.D. student in the University of Arkansas Department of Education Reform Office for Education Policy Kate Barnes suggests many of the districts approving the changes are doing so for a similar reason. By far, the main reason why these districts chose to adopt these calendars was to recruit and retain teachers. The districts had a really difficult time um, with open positions. One school district mentioned they had a position that was open I think from March till October with no application. So they really wanted to get more teachers to apply and then stay to help their kids throughout the year. Barnes says she contacted all 33 school districts that had for this year changed to either a four-day week or year-round schedule and heard back from a majority of the district superintendents. Most of the districts adopting the changes are in rural parts of the state, with many in the Arkansas Delta. She says the superintendents said there have been some challenges. So the biggest issues that these districts shared were, uh, first off, pre-K, at least this past year, we don't know what it's going to look like in the upcoming school year, was required to stay on a five-day schedule. 
and the rest of the school district was on a four-day schedule. So they had high percentages of students missing that Friday because their brothers and sisters who were maybe in the K-12 were not at school. Um, So that was a challenge. Some districts even said they lost their ABC funding for pre-K or they scrapped their pre-K program altogether. Barnes says she and the Office for Education Reform are staying in touch with districts as the change schedules continue so they can track any changes in student performance. We'll have a much longer conversation with Kate Barnes about the research on an edition of Ozarks at Large later this month. Pea Ridge National Military Park will conduct prescribed fire operations starting Monday, subject to weather conditions meeting prescriptions. To assure visitor safety, some areas inside the park, including roads and trails, may be closed while fire operations are taking place and for a short period after completion. A press release from the park says fire managers are making every effort to minimize smoke impacts to surrounding communities, though smoke-sensitive individuals may want to avoid outside activities on the day or days of the operation. If you'd like more information on whether prescribed fire operations will occur on any given day, you can call the park's visitor center at 451-8122. An ordinance to amend Fayetteville City Code to better control the spread of graffiti vandalism on private property proposed late last year by City Council Member Teresa Turk continues to progress. So I'm an avid bike rider of the Greenway and some of our other beautiful city trails. And uh, the more I bike, the more I see more and more graffiti. And it's actually spreading. It's not just um, down there at the old uh, train station, which that is a horrible mess. But it's all over the place. So, um, and much of it is obscene. So, if you go around behind um, some of those um, those places right there on MLK, right next to the bike trail, you'll see graffiti all over the electrical boxes. You'll see it all over fences, um, and it is proliferating. Fayetteville City Code prohibits graffiti on any public or private property, a law enforced by city police. Those found guilty of such acts face a $500 fine and or three months in jail. Nuisance graffiti on city property is removed or painted over by city workers. Turk's amended ordinance would allow private property owners, leaseholders, and tenants to consent to having graffiti removed by city staff as well. The ordinance is much, much simpler than what I originally proposed so we were trying to balance uh, property rights, uh, you know, the, our legal uh, ability to uh, go on to private property, and also some considerations from the art community. Um, when I proposed that, the city attorney, um, he found some serious flaws with that uh, and did not think that uh, it would stand up in court if somebody sued the city. So the city attorney and I have revised the ordinance, uh, the graffiti ordinance, and that will be presented on April 18th. Turk is collaborating with the Fayetteville's Art Council to research graffiti blight and ways to control it. A key finding is that graffiti vandalism spreads if not removed or painted over. The Arts Council is also considering creation of a legal graffiti wall in town. There is a new name and logo for a more than 100-year-old Northwest Arkansas Chamber of Commerce, the former Rogers Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce, now known as the Rogers Lowell Chamber, or RLC. New logo consists of a stylized RLC in three different colors with the state of Arkansas embedded inside the C. The chamber was founded in 1922. The new name and logo include the tagline, Serving Business and Community Together. Arkansas Attorney General Tim Griffin gave an update to the public on an investigation into a natural gas utility yesterday. Summit Utilities allegedly overcharged hundreds of rate payers for gas they didn't use. 
The attorney general said he had heard about 2,800 complaints from people who were overcharged. In a news conference yesterday, Griffin said he is asking the Public Service Commission to look into the problem. Griffin said he wanted to be the public advocate for all Arkansans. They're not the only gas company in Arkansas. In fact, there are several others, and I want to mention that we have not had, we have not had similar complaints regarding other gas companies. That audio, courtesy Arkansas PBS. Attorney General Griffin says some of the unnecessary charges were due to errors, but promised that ultimately no Arkansan will pay for fuel they didn't use. He says he plans to refer it to the next step under Arkansas law to explore making it a regulatory matter. A judge earlier this week granted a restraining order against Summit Utilities, preventing it from shutting off gas services to customers. Both Razorback basketball teams are advancing in their respective postseason tournaments. The men defeated Illinois 73-63 yesterday in the first round of the NCAA tournament and will meet the number one seed in the West Regional, Kansas, at 4.15 tomorrow afternoon. And the Arkansas women topped Louisiana Tech last night in Bud Walton Arena in the first round of the NIT. That final, 69-47. Arkansas will now host Stephen F. Austin Monday night in the second round. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review here on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. This Wednesday, the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust held an event to celebrate the cultural and natural history of the preserved pieces of land that they've worked to protect. I spoke with Marcin Nance, Director of Land Stewardship and Research. Our mission is to preserve and enhance the quality of life for all people here in the region through the permanent protection of land. And we primarily work with private landowners and some municipalities to put critical open spaces into permanent protection and conservation for wildlife habitat, water quality, scenic value, family farms, and of course our historical and cultural identity. That's what makes us us here in Northwest Arkansas, you know, that's kind of our identity here. And, uh, you know, some of our properties have histories going back thousands of years to, you know, pre-settlement to, uh, you know, indigenous peoples. And um, it's important to remember that the people who came before us and all the people here who left their mark on Northwest Arkansas that we can protect and, uh, and honor today. Marcin Nance with the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. Find more at nwalandtrust.org. Coming up in mid-April, the annual Hogeye Marathon will take place over two days in Springdale and a bit of Fayetteville. Here's Tabby Holmes, race director with the Hogeye Marathon. We have so many new people in the area that they actually may not know this. The Hogeye started in 1977, and it started just as a challenge. Uh, and they decided to, at the time to uh, run out to Hogeye, Arkansas and then and turn around and come back and then the next year they said let's do it again and so they said let's call it the Hawkeye Marathon. We moved it into the city limits of Fayetteville in I believe it was 1999 and or 2000 right around there. We added a half marathon in 1998 and so um, it was in Fayetteville until 2016 that was our 40th year and then we are now in uh, start and finish in downtown Springdale. I know y'all rely heavily uh, on those in our community you want to help out. Yes, we, we do need a lot of volunteers. Course monitors is what we need the most of. Every year we need, just need a lot of people because 26.2 miles is a lot of intersections to, to cover and a lot of um, 
you know, subdivisions and things like that. So we just need people out on the course and not just, you know, directing traffic, but also cheering on the runners and stuff like that, you know, because it, it does get, especially in the later miles. So we have our volunteer software on our website, which is hogeyemarathon.com, and they can go to that and they can pick which zone that they want to volunteer in. So we have it divided up from, I believe we have 22 zones. Hogeye Marathon Race Director Tabby Holmes. This year's event, that's April 15th and 16th, also offers a half marathon, four-person relay, 5K, and a 10K. HogeyeMarathon.com is where you can offer to volunteer and, of course, to register to participate. You can also see the course, community sponsors, and also you can see the local charities that this annual marathon benefits. The Downtown Springdale Alliance is excited for its upcoming Live at Turnbow concert series. Jill Dabbs, Executive Director of the Downtown Springdale Alliance, says this series will begin in late April and run through the fall. Yes, April 27th, the last Thursday of the month, will kick off this year's concert series. Okay, on the 27th, who are we opening with? We're opening with Funk Factory. Okay. That's going to be the opener. I mean, that's going to be the headliner, and we'll have a couple of openers that join them to be announced soon. Uh, talk about, real quickly, uh, the park itself, Turnbow. Not all that, a relatively kind of new area, correct? Yes, very fairly new. Opened in 2017. This was one of the first objectives of the downtown master plan when they started the revitalization. This was part of that original vision. They daylighted that creek there, Spring Creek, and opened that park up all around Shallow Square. Shallow Square's been there for many years, and uh, it's just a beautiful space, but it's right in the heart of downtown Springdale. You have to park and walk down into it because it sits at a lower elevation than the street does, which creates this really great theater in the round sort of for the Live at Turnbow series. All right, so that begins April 27th. Any registration or anything like that? Just come out, right? Just come out. Just show up. Bring your lawn chairs. Bring a blanket. Enjoy the evening. You can grab a bite to eat up and down Emma or in the park. There's a few restaurants, and uh, you might be surprised. There's some new restaurants when you come downtown you might find a lot of our businesses are staying open that evening as late as eight o'clock we're super excited about that a few of our retail stores milk and sugar and 12 petal junction are two of them that are staying open late it's just going to be it's a fun night to grab you know grab your kids grab your dog whatever come on down so that's the last thursday of each month beginning in april for more downtownspringdale.org there's a page dedicated to the live at turnbow series There's a lot of concert series, art installations, and outdoor activities being planned as the temperatures continue to climb out from winter, and you can be sure you'll hear all about them on the Community Spotlight, heard weekdays during Morning Edition and right here on Ozarks at Large. I'm Pete Hartman. You can contact me at pete at kuaf.com, and you can hear additional segments of the Community Spotlight at our website, kuaf.com. Just look to the right of the screen. Hope you have a great weekend, and remember, your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelts with me on the phone from her office in Bella Vista. Becca Martin-Brown. Becca, happy St. Patrick's Day. Why are you at work? The university is not at work. No, we are today. You're thinking next week. The university is technically closed um, a week from today, the last day of spring break, but we'll have a show. Well, I have an idea. Okay. 
since we really don't get spring break, mm-hmm. and many of our listeners don't either, how about some things you can go do that'll make you think you're on spring break or you can pretend you are? I love this idea, Becca. This weekend, today and tomorrow, there is a flying spring fling at the Arkansas Air and Military Museum in Fayetteville. Tell me about it. Antique car show, mm-hmm. food trucks, mm-hmm. C-130 flight deck tours, and half-price museum admission. That's cool. Eight to five, today and tomorrow. They were supposed to have a Warbird weekend this weekend, and something went wrong, and so that'll happen in May. So the, this is the fill-in. Yeah, the, the Nor'easter happened. Flying was not going to be a possibility. Okay, your tiny little theatrical spring break mm-hmm. or time travel spring break is two short radio plays together under the title Death on the Line. Death? D-E-A-T-H? Yes. Okay. They both center around phones, like the kind you hang up. Uh-huh. These are presented by Northwest Arkansas Audio Theater. They happen tonight at 7 o'clock at First Presbyterian Church in Springdale, 2 o'clock tomorrow at the Fayetteville Public Library, and 2 o'clock Sunday at the Medium at 214 South Main Street in Springdale. Plenty of chances to do it. I like it. The one at the library is free. The others are 5 to $10. Okay. Still five, inexpensive. Five for kids. Yeah. Or you can time travel and buy stuff, which is one of my favorite things. <laughs> There's a new event at the Rogers Convention Center tomorrow called the Time Traveler's Vintage Expo. Antique stuff, repurposed stuff, cool stuff, like 80 or 90 vendors. 10 to 6 tomorrow at the Rogers Convention Center, $10 to get in. And what you do after that is between you and your significant other. Sounds good. And you can go to the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville, not only see a super cool museum for free, but you can dig for modern-made arrowheads out by their teepee. Is this like like an Easter egg hunt? Like they will put some in there and you know there are some? Yeah. Okay. And they are open 11 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. It's all free. People don't realize what an amazing collection lives there. Terra Studios, another of Northwest Arkansas's unsung cool places is having a spring break palooza all next week with arts and crafts classes and live music the 22nd through the 26th. And you can go to their website at usingart.com and find out all about it. There's pinch pot classes and clay bluebird classes and music every afternoon. And you can go on spring break. Crystal Bridges has spring break specials starting Sunday, most of which are kind of tied to Diego Rivera's America, the new exhibit. And it all starts with a Pintura Festival from 11 to 4 on Saturday. And again, what's the magic word? Free. All free. And then next Saturday, the 25th, to wrap up your spring break, 8.45 in the morning. The Bella Vista Historical Museum is hosting a driving tour of Bella Vista. Bella Vista's got a lot of cool history. It That's does. cool a lot. <laughs> but it does. It has a lot of cool history that people don't know. This is how you can find out. I do. Tickets a, are 15 to 
I do a driving tour every time I go to Bella Vista and I'm doing an interview that is not on, you know, the main road because there are no straight roads in Bella Vista. You just wind around and you're convinced that you're either in Missouri or Oklahoma because you've been driving for 45 minutes and it turns out you're a block away from Dairy Queen. It's, it's, It's a remarkable thing. But it's also beautiful. Oh, yes, absolutely. Call 855-2335 for reservations for the driving tour of Bella Vista. Or at 930, there's a walking tour of Bentonville at the Bentonville History Museum on South Main Street. It's $15, and you can find out about it at BentonvilleHistoryMuseum.org. Or you can go to Eureka Springs for the Kite Festival at Turpentine Creek, not this Saturday, but next, from 10 to 4. It's free. And you can see the fuzzy people who live at Turpentine Creek. And that's always fun. Always fun. And next Saturday evening, the King Opera House series, they're having a performing arts series this year, opens with Beatlemania 64. Uh, which seems pretty self-explanatory. It does. It starts at 7 o'clock. Tickets start at $25. And you can find out more at kingoperahouse.com. If you've never been to the King Opera House, it is, I'm going to say it again, super cool. Like the auditorium in Eureka Springs. Yeah, yeah. Historic. So here's a bunch of things, and we didn't spend hardly any money. My kind of spring break. Becca Martin-Brown is the features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, as always, thank you very much. Walton Arts Center's 10x10 Arts Series presents La Dama, Thursday, March 30th at 7 p.m. La Dama brings together four Latin American women who blend traditional music from Venezuela, Brazil, and Colombia with elements of soul, R&B, and pop, performed in Spanish, English, and Portuguese. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. The two-day bluegrass and progressive roots music festival Freshgrass returns to the Momentary in Bentonville, May 19th and 20th. The all-ages festival will feature Camp, L. King, Mavis Staples, Sierra Farrell, the Del McCory Band, and more. Tickets and information at themomentary.org. The new book, Drawing Deportation, Art and Resistance Among Immigrant Children, features artwork created by immigrant children as young as six regarding their concerns, experiences, and fears about deportation or being separated from their families. Silvia Rodriguez-Vegas spent 10 years working with children in Arizona and California. Last month, Silvia Rodriguez-Vegas talked with me via Zoom about her book and the images depicted in children's art, including former Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Apero, who became the face of anti-immigrant policies. He was a self-proclaimed toughest sheriff on the West. He actually was from Massachusetts, but he had this this very like country cowboy idea about um, running the detention centers, the prisons. And um, in fact, he was held in contempt with the Department of Justice, found guilty of committing crimes like racial profiling, wrongful deaths in his um in, in the prisons that he had or detention centers. Um, and eventually Trump pardoned him and he was the very first person pardoned under Trump. And so it was just very powerful seeing how policies that started in Arizona so anti-immigrant eventually became widespread throughout the Trump administration. A couple of things that I think sometimes some of us think about children is, oh, they're not as aware of 
current events or events even in their neighborhood as we think. We think they're, I don't know if the term is innocent or naive. So we're, we don't give them credit for noticing and processing. And then we don't always give them or often don't give them credit for taking agency or, or developing ideas about how to change these matters. The art you present in the book shows that they do know and they can think of things to do. Yeah, you're so right, Kyle. I mean, specifically thinking about um, what we expect and think of children, we want to protect them. And that is so important. And at the same time, we don't have uh, hard conversations with them about racism, detention, um, you know, tough subjects. And unfortunately, our society is dealing with a lot right now. And what I found is that children are very much paying attention. They listen to what parents are talking about. They watch the news often with parents. And so when they come to class, they come to class loaded with a lot of ideas and worries and thoughts and feelings about what is happening in society. And I found that art gave them a moment to reflect on these things. And I think what you point out in Drawing Deportation, Art and Resistance Among Immigrant Children, is they're looking for an avenue. They want to talk about this, and they want to maybe talk to someone older than them at some point about these matters. Yeah, exactly. They they really use these opportunities to talk about, you know, why is Trump saying these things about the border wall? Is there going to be a wall? What is happening with, um, they were worried about what was happening in Syria. They were worried about North Korea. They were worried about so many things, and honestly, my time in the classroom with them in California, um, where I taught for two years, this theater class, we talked about all sorts of things like bullying and the environment. And most often because I worked with children of immigrants during the election and during Trump's first year in office, all of our subjects ended up being about immigration because that is what really worried them most often in, in their daily life. They kept thinking about this. And it was also on the media every single day. Um, so it was very hard to avoid. One of the and, – and I should point out that it's – this is a book about children and art, but it's also about policy and examinations of different policies, including family separation. But as you point out, this is not anything new. We know that indigenous families in the United States and Canada had children taken away, putting put in what were called boarding schools where – their culture was taken from them and erased. We know that Irish immigrant children who were living in poverty were taken away by nuns and put with other Catholic families. Are there similarities in these family separation policies that can span more than a century? They are. I mean, we like to think that this doesn't happen, that in our society we are beyond these things. And people were alarmed when this happened just in 2018. And I do want to say that the children that were separated from their parents in 2018 under Trump's zero tolerance policy, till this day, are still not reunited. There are still a thousand kids that have that are separated. And if we think back to the examples that you mentioned that I write about in the book, it's not just the boarding schools or um, situations like enslavement where white children were all, I, I mean, black children were sold. Um, or the Japanese internment camps that also disrupted many communities and families. But I think what ties them all together is um, 
white supremacy and racism and the fear of another, the fear of of people that are different than us. Um, and when we're able to dehumanize people, to not see them as equal or as ourselves, then it's easy to pass policies and do things that are so harsh and cruel, like family separation. What kind of effect would do these policies have on children six, eight, 10, 12 years old? They are so impacted. It's it's amazing to see the drawings that just at six years old, seven years old, children are talking about things like racism, about loss, about death, specifically related to immigration. Um, but I think in general, children were concerned with their parents and their family's cohesion. And the way that this manifests in the life of a child at that age is that they have trouble concentrating at school. They're not able to do homework, to pay attention, to focus on what is happening. They get nightmares. They have stress uh, that manifests as um, lack of focus, anxieties. And over time, this really adds up because it's not just one day, but it's a constant stress that over time, um, psychologists call this toxic stress that really hinders a child's brain um, and development as they become adults. Um, so this is very harmful to them. Silvio Rodriguez-Vega's book, Drawing Deportation, Art and Resistance Among Immigrant Children, is available now. A longer conversation with her, part of Weekend Ozarks at Large, Sunday morning at 9 on KUAF. This weekend on The Vinyl Hour, we talk about growing up and how music ties itself to our memories. A track list of maybe 10 songs that kind of guided us through our lives or reminded us of good times or bad times or the emotions that were tied to that. That's this Saturday at 5 on KUAF. They're shaking hands, they're shaking in their shoes. Oh, Lord, don't shake me down. On a Monday version of Ozarks at Large, yeah, the slightly colder temperatures of the last couple of days have reminded us the calendar hasn't turned to spring just yet, but it could always be colder. It's 12 noon, just before sunrise at the Arctic Circle. Wind chill factor, I can't describe it, 60 below zero. And everything behind me looks like a big snowfield. It's actually water. It's the Arctic Ocean, and I'm standing on it. And you can nine months out of the year. We hear Prior Center archives from special projects Randy Dixon took on while a producer at KATV. From the Arctic Circle to Romania to coffee in Thailand. That and much more on the Monday edition of Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. And available through the free KUAF podcast wherever you get your podcasts and also available at KUAF.com. I'm Joy McGowan. I'm Denisha Simpson. And we are Resilient Black Women. On the next Resilient Black Women. Joy and Denisha speak with Dr. Gabby, a gynecologist based in the UK, who is addressing the root cause of gynecology disease, a disease that disproportionately affects black women. Black women also experience higher rates of infertility, maternal mortality, and higher hysterectomy rates compared to women of other races. So that's how I've ended up on this mission to save black women's wombs was a pervasive problem where black women are disproportionately affected um, by the burden of gynecology disease. Listen to this and other episodes, one every Friday in the month of March to highlight black women's health. 
for free at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Speaking of KUAF, Mm -hmm. yesterday the station received the Aspire Award from the Community Blood Center of the Ozarks for coverage of blood needs in the region over the past year. Also receiving Aspire Awards at yesterday's ceremonies in Rogers, Bike Rack Brewing uh, for their Pints for Pints campaign and Pig Trail Harley-Davidson for their blood drives. Awesome. Also recognized were people who have donated between 50 and 400 times during their life. Have you donated blood before? I have. It's been a while, and I'm ashamed to admit that. Uh, going to the ceremony yesterday. <laughs> j- Lit a fire? Yeah, it did. Um, Amy Nichols was kind of the featured speaker. She was there with her young son, mm-hmm. and they talked about his need for blood transfusions over the last couple of years. And both she and her son met six people whose donations, because wow. they tracked this, directly benefited him. It was quite emotional. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yes, uh, I even thought we could have a, a blood drive here at KUA, a partner with the uh, the library. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. All right. Uh, you can also find out more about Community Blood Center of the Ozarks at cbco.org. And I would like to thank them for recognizing our work. This is KUAF. All throughout the month of March, the Community Spotlight will have a specific focus, donations and local support for the Elizabeth Richardson Center. March is Intellectual Disabilities Awareness Month, and for 60 years, the ERC has been working to enhance the quality of life for individuals with disabilities in our community inflation and just everything, those costs are also passed on to nonprofits, and we we just really need some extra help. This nonprofit offers both children and adult services, life skills, employment services, and even residential options for certain individuals. They're looking to bust the box with a donation drive all this month. Through March 11th, they're specifically looking for cloth items such as socks, towels, washcloths, underwear, sports bras, full or queen bedding, and curtains. For the full list of needed items or for more information, visit ERCINC.org. It's a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. It's time to think about what we might watch this weekend. Courtney Lanning always helps us navigate the movie Waters. Courtney, welcome back. Kyle, happy to be back. You're going to help us navigate through two new film releases this Friday. That's right. Joey's special on Friday is two pizzas and the Courtney special on Friday is two movies. Which one you want to start with? Let's talk about The Magician's Elephants, which is coming to Netflix. All right. You and I have talked at great length before about what a great job Netflix's in-house animation studio is doing at putting out amazing films. They just had an Oscar-nominated film, The Sea Beast, that did not win on Sunday. But now they've got a new movie out called The Magician's Elephants, uh, which is adapted from a book by the same title. It's a movie that has a lot of charm and heart to it. Very different than The Sea Beast. Uh, Still 3D CG, um, but it's it's, it's got a lot of magic with its story, as you would imagine from a title like that. We've mentioned The Sea Beast now a couple of times, which I think everyone should just watch because it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. That's a high bar of animation to reach. Does The Elephant's Magician hit there? So, you know, the, the animation... When you're comparing the the two, the animation for this movie might take some getting used to. The backgrounds are all amazing. You know, it takes place in this little uh, Western European village. Uh, It's about a boy who was separated from his sister right after she was born in the middle of what I think is World War I. They're never quite clear on that. He's trying to get back to her and he doesn't know if she's alive or where she is. She come, he comes across a, a fortune teller in the town village, town square one day. The fortune teller tells him, follow the elephant 
basically saying the elephant will lead him to his sister. He goes, that's nuts. There's no elephants around here. Uh, meanwhile, that night, a bumbling magician is really failing to enchant a crowd. Uh, and for one last grand trick, he summons an elephant that literally falls out of the sky and lands on the stage. Causes a huge buzz in the town. When the kid hears the news, he goes, this is it. This is the sign. This elephant's going to leave me to my sister. He goes and he asks for the elephant's freedom. The king says, uh, I'll give you the elephant if you perform three impossible tasks mm-hmm. in front of the entire village. Like I said, it's got a lot of charm and heart to it. All ages can watch this? Family together? Absolutely. Family together. I'm guessing the second film we're talking about, Boston Strangler, is not a family together film. I would not call this a family film by any stretch, Kyle. No. There was an earlier version of the Boston Strangler, which kind of centered on the criminal, played by Tony Curtis. Uh, This one shifts the focus a bit. Yeah, this is a, a different take than the 1968 movie. I won't ask you if you have seen that movie or if you were around when it came out. I was, but I have. So there, you didn't ask, but I told. <laughs> but this new one is coming to Hulu and it, it takes it more of a, a different focus, honing in on the two reporters based on actual people who worked in Boston at a newspaper who investigated the Boston Strangler. And for those who are unfamiliar, back in the 1960s, I think from 1963 to 65, 13 women who lived alone were murdered across Boston. And uh, the perpetrator came to be known as the Boston Strangler. A, a man confessed to the killings, um, but there's always been a little bit of lingering doubt. Uh, DNA evidence connected him to the last one, but there's always questions about whether there were multiple killers or, or what have you, because the confession, and you could see it in this movie, the confession, you know, leaves some questions. Kira Knightley makes a decent reporter in this movie. Uh, she is the main character who is investigating and learning the ropes of crime reporting while she chases down everything she can about the strangler. But this movie is definitely not Spotlight, and it's not the paper. So as far as newspaper stories go, it's serviceable, and it gets going with a really strong start. I'm glad you brought up Spotlight, because when you think Boston newspaper movie, you go to that movie, which investigated, you know, um, sexual abuse inside the Catholic Church, which was I think, along with All the President's Men, my favorite movie about reporting that's ever been made because it showed the drudgery. It showed, you know, the effort that's taken to do investigative reporting. Um, this one with Kira Knightley. So Kira Knightley's British, right? She is. And thank goodness they don't ask her to attempt a Boston accent. Uh, I made a note to my wife as I was watching this movie. I said, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, the only people with Boston accents in this movie are men. You don't hear any of the women in the movie really give that that Boston accent that we traditionally think of. Um, but, you know, she she doesn't sound British in the movie. All right. So would you call this a thriller? I mean, how does it how does it work? I think uh, thriller, crime thriller is probably a pretty apt description for it. You know, I think my problem with the movie is while it does have a good, strong first half, it starts to unravel towards the end. The pacing and the narrative become a bit muddled. Uh, It tries to juggle too many balls with its story. And it kind of seems, as we get closer and closer to the end, that it wants to ditch the newspaper aspect of its story to become more of like a true crime documentary. It just gets lost in the weeds a bit. It's kind of a a weak ending. So it's overall, it's a mixed bag. All right. And that is going to be on Hulu beginning today. Yes. Magician's Elephant 
on Netflix. If we want to go out of our home and go to the theater, anything new? Yes. Uh, new superhero offering, as has become the norm. <laughs> uh, we have Shazam, Wrath of the Gods, or Fury of the Gods. There's a verb in there for violence that I'm mixing up. The gods are not happy. The gods are not happy, and Shazam is going to have to stop them. All right. That's in theaters. Reviews from Courtney in uh, Friday's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Two this week. We're back to one next week? Yes. Next week I'll have uh, a new thriller for you called The Tudor, which stars one of the kids from Stranger Things. Oh. Is it Millie Bobby Brown? It is not. Okay. It is Will. Oh, well, I, okay, that's cool. Um, Courtney, as always, thank you for your time. Kyle, thanks for having me. Rocklahoma 2023 Music Festival is September 1st through the 3rd, 2023. KUAF is giving you the chance to win VIP tickets. Held in prior Oklahoma, bands include Asking Alexandria, Rob Zombie, Aaron Jones, and more. Winners will be announced on Friday, August 25th during Ozarks at Large. KUAF.com for complete lineup and registration. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Cannon Creek. Matthew produced today's program in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors today included Michael Tilly, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Jacqueline Froelich provided information and sound about the proposed graffiti resolution in Fayetteville. And we also had help today from the new staff at KUAR Radio in Little Rock. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Kyle, yesterday we saw the Arkansas Razorbacks beat the Illinois Fighting Illini. Yep. We also saw the 15-seed Princeton Tigers beat the Arizona Wildcats, the number two seed. Yep. Really fascinating stat I saw yesterday online. There were four 15 over two upsets, which for those of you who don't follow basketball, that's a pretty big deal. That's a very widespread. There were four 15 over two upsets in the first 27 years of the 64 team bracket. And there have been seven in the last 10 tournaments. The margin between the very best and the not very best is shrinking every year, right? Absolutely. A yeah. lot of parody. And it's 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 fun to watch a team um, like Princeton win. Unless you're a fan of the number two team. I suppose that's true. Last yeah. year, the Arkansas women went in highly rated and lost, got upset in the first round. It's not so fun when it's your team. That's true. That's so, true. My condolences to Arizona Wildcat fans. Yeah, Princeton Tigers. It's the only time Princeton will be the underdog in a situation. (laughs) There you go. Uh, I'll be back Sunday morning at 9. We'll both be back here Monday at noon. Very good. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums.